Randy J, and you're listening to the Back Table Podcast. Yeah. Oh, I'll do a Swedish accent. Now you do not do a Swedish accent. You don't know how to do one, and you don't need to do. These people don't know who you are. I'm a Swedish plumber. I'm here to fix your pipes. That's good. That's a good accent. Welcome to the Back Table Comedy Podcast, episode 127. It's your host, Andrew Crone, and with me today, filling in for Josh, please welcome back the hilarious Matt Baker. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, uh, pleasure to be back. I haven't been on this in a long time. It's been quite a while. You were actually one of our original guests, the I'm OG, pretty sure. Man. Our this... first guest. So if you don't recognize that voice, you just haven't been listening long enough. You're not dedicated, and that's disappointing. Go back and re-listen to all the old episodes, all 126 of them. Yeah. And in the first few, you'll hear Matt. Yeah. So. One of them. I think I'm on one, maybe two, but uh, we're going we're gonna to turn the labels off all of them, and uh, you're going to have to... Listen to each individual one to find me. You have to. We won't tell you exactly. Take his name out of the description. Yeah. So you can't find them. (laughs) You have to listen to them individually. And then you have to be like, I think that's his his voice. That must be him. Also, they'll probably say my name at the beginning, so that'll make it easy for you as well. Yeah, you won't have to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the sponsors would be upset if you didn't. So make sure. Yeah, all of our all of our many sponsors that sponsor the show. Yeah, it'd be it'd be you can't you can't get the sponsors angry, man. No, that's the one thing I've noticed, and yeah. uh, that's why we keep losing so many. Yeah. We'll do we'll do one, and then it's yeah. like that. Ah, we don't want to sponsor anymore. Yeah, they do get they get agitated. They get uh, you know. They send you these scripts. You go off script by one or two N-words. Drop a couple R-words. I know, right? You say re- the re-word one time. Yeah. That's what happens when you work with big oil companies, man. They don't like the word recycle. Yeah, they hate recycling. <laughs> Re- it's recycle. like, you just use new stuff. Yeah. We keep making it for you. Keep buying it, baby. Just buy some fresh stuff. Yeah. You guys were. You guys had a... I mean, obviously, we can't talk about it on here, but uh, you guys had a pretty big oil industry... Um, deal that was on the table for quite some time and then yeah yeah that fell through it was uh, one of the big companies too yeah huge and big, we were big, but I, big yeah time I, industry i guess we mentioned something about one little spill and now they don't want to sponsor the show yeah yeah <sighs> yeah you spill a little bit of gasoline out from a boston pizza and people lose their shit i know it's like come on i was just trying to burn the place down the old bp spill baby uh, so the reason you haven't been on the podcast in a while is because you spent the last two years, I believe, right? Two years? More than that. Almost. More than two years. Oh, I think that. Yeah, more than that. On the other side of the country, like in Halifax. Side. Yeah, man. It's it's crazy. I uh, I left in 
I, I departed. I had to leave. The scene was getting too good, and I was not there, so I had to leave. <coughs> so I had to get out and come back a new man. And uh, it's like when the you know the teenage mutant ninja turtles departed into the sewer, and then they came back as ninja turtles. That's right, regular turtles. Same thing, man. I, I left as a turtle, and now I'm back as a overgrown man turtle. Well, just be careful, cause. Kyle likes to shoot turtles in the face. Yeah. <laughs> so I shoot a turtle in the face. So just be careful. Yeah, I'm gonna try my best to not get shot in the face. But honestly, I heard I there's a, a lot of crime out in Halifax. There, it's, there's a it's got a history now. That's for sure. Yeah, I've heard. I've, I used to. I dated a girl from Halifax, and she told me all about the oh like the, the 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 crime families over there. I mean, there's like. From what I gather, I live just outside of Halifax, but uh, from what I gather, it's probably not as bad as it was. But it's like insane to think like I'm not down there too often, so I don't see too much bad stuff. I just go for the comedy and I leave. Yeah. But there's like shootings and stuff like that. And the Dartmouth is like the other one. So Halifax and Dartmouth are like Kelowna, West Kelowna, right? Kelowna is the dream town. Yeah. And West Kelowna is kind of sketchy. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like Halifax's dream city and Dartmouth is the danger town. Okay. The dark side, as they call it. That was a nice little subtle compliment you just gave the Halifax comedy scene. Like, I haven't seen too much bad stuff because I just go there for comedy. Yeah. That was nice. That was nice. They got a good scene down there? Yeah, it's a, it's a good a good scene in Halifax. Totally different. Uh, there's, like, no dedicated, like, show up, go up, open mic. So everything's, like, you have to book it all kind of in advance. So there could be, like, a week where you do nothing and then a week where you do, like, four or five shows in a row, which is sweet. But uh, just... I don't, I don't like the sound of doing nothing. Yeah, the week yeah the week of doing nothing sucks. Yeah, but yeah. if you're if, if you're pretty smart with it, you can always get something. But it's totally different than here, where like Frig, when I first started in Kelowna, man, they would just put us up, and you get like you'd be up Thursday, and then you would definitely get a show Friday and Saturday, and yeah. maybe double up on either show on pretty Friday much, or Saturday. Yeah, you're guaranteed at least two a week, basically. Yeah, at least, <laughs> and as long as you're good, then he's gonna continue to put you up because he doesn't want to take risks on his shows. You don't even have to be that good. No, you don't. <laughs> Realistic. I mean, I'm here. I headlined the thing last weekend. You don't. You don't need much. You just gotta come back with a a new credit. You know, I was worthless until I left. And then when I came back, they're like, this guy's from Halifax now. Halifax? Oh my God, yeah. that's credit in itself. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I I sold the place out minus. 47 seats I had like 13 people there It was crazy <laughs> It's funny how just like Living in a city as a, like a Certain cities in Canada And the states I guess That's a credit Yeah Geographic location Yeah Yeah No The scene out east There's like a guy that Lives in LA And he'll come back Every once in a while And that's like the big thing That everyone introduces him This guy's coming to you All the way from LA Please welcome And you're like Yeah but he's from here And he lives in LA <laughs> Yeah, that was there was a guy here last night from New York. Yeah, I seen that. And uh, yeah, that was his credit. It was like Dave's like, no, oh, this guy is coming to you from New York. Wow! Please welcome. I was like, that's it. And he's just from New York. Yeah, that's his credit. Just, just a geographic location. Yeah, I, I, I uh, it's weird, man. I guess uh, initially when you start, people, people assume that if you're from afar, you've come specifically for that, and so you must be really good. Yeah, because they're like. They, they, he must have brought this guy in just for us. And you're like, no, this guy showed up. He's visiting family. Yeah, he's visiting family. <laughs> you know, his nan died or some yeah. shit. And he's just trying to laugh he's about it. He's here for a funeral. And he just, oh, there's a comedy club here. I can do, do a spot. Yeah. 
And then, then I'll just message the booker and be like, hey, I'm from New York. And then you're like, oh, dude, that's sick. You're on, bro. I don't even know if that's a true New York accent, but. Hey, dude, I'm from New York. I, uh, hey. From New York. Dude. Dude, they New Yorkin. New York. You, New Yorkanese, I believe. New Yorkanese, that's the official name for the <laughs> New accent. New Yorkanese. I don't speak New Yorkanese, but I have a cousin who does. And he's a racist bag of shit. No, it's 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 a totally different scene out there. Uh, a guy like you would crush out there just because I find the crowds are usually pretty welcoming. And just like everyone's down. And the scene itself has a bit, I wouldn't say a bit of a gap. I feel most of the people out there are within like the three to five year range. Yeah. And then there's a bit of a gap. And then there's people who have been doing it for like eight, eight plus. Yeah. And that gap is not, I wouldn't say evident, but like you see who's still at the mics and who isn't and stuff like that. So it's cool. It's, it's so different because like, I'm used to like, like I started with like Vester and Strauss. Right. Yeah. And then to come, to come back and see where they're at and be like, kind of see how things are going. So it's interesting. Those are two funny examples that you used. Oh yeah. 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 For sure. Two different characters. Two completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Two completely different paths. Like one is. Jordan and the other one's just like ah, I'll just do podcasts now. Again. Yeah, I mean, but hey, if he's having fun, he's killing it with that shit. Then yeah, they're doing you're, good. You're supposed to just do whatever feels natural, and if it's not going to be stand up, then podcasts are working for you. Then yeah. man, I I couldn't imagine. I mean, stand up's already difficult enough for me. So well, Vesner still does well on like the like the sick and twisted shows. And yeah, stuff. yeah, 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 for sure. He's all he's a writer for sure. He's got it. And yeah. It's just a matter of like what he remembering on. his jokes. Yeah, remembering jokes. I remember I always just <laughs> before shows and shit, he'd be like fucking freaking out. He'd be like, I got it, I got it, I don't know. And I I've seen him do like I've seen him do so well because he he got like this confidence to him. But then simultaneously, I've seen him like go up there and just like absolutely eat a dick. Oh yeah, because he'd just forget shit, man. He'd be up there and he'd be like, oh fuck. Oh fuck! And then he couldn't remember shit, or he'd step on his own punch or anything like that. So yeah, it's, his crowd I, works pretty on point. Oh yeah, but that comes back to the confidence thing, man. Once you once you get in yourself up there, it's so much easier. I've watched him bomb for like three minutes with material, and then switch to crowd work for six, and it it's just oh okay, why don't you just do that the whole time? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Jordan, his material is so solid. Yeah. But it's. He, he like he, he almost never does crowd work. Yeah, ever. that's the that's what I'm so jealous of with Strauss is his materials so bulletproof that if he worked on his crowd work even more, he'd be like that, just that next level deadly. And he's like, for the most part, he's relatively clean as well. Yeah, relatively clean and, and like consistent. That's like mm-hmm. the huge thing. I was talking to a couple other comics. It's like at some point you got to realize that writing jokes is great, but becoming consistent is even more important because at the end of the day, if you're crushing 30% of the time and bombing 70% of the time, well, that's not going to help you. People aren't going to want to take that gamble. Yeah, it should be at least 50-50. Yeah. (laughs) But if you're doing like pretty well 90% of the time, you might not be a killer, but you're doing pretty well 90% of the time, people will give you that chance more often because it's less of a risk for the room. You know, the guy who's putting on the show or the girl who's putting on the show, whoever's hosting the show, like, they know that they can rely on you to say, go bullet and not cause any, like, polarizing stuff. So it's, 
it's at one point you have to kind of be like, okay, what do I want to focus on? Do I want to always write new stuff and take risks or do I want to polish some stuff up? Maybe it's not the funniest stuff I'll ever write, but it's consistent enough that I'll continue to go up there and always do well, which is important. Yeah, it's kind of where I'm at right now with like weekend shows. I'm like, all right, do I want to try this new stuff or do I just want to fucking do my old stuff and be safe? Yeah. Which it's not always the right thing to do is to, you know, some, it's, it's good to do your new stuff and, oh, if it bombs, it bombs. But it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's fun to do, like, you're, for yourself, you're consistent anyways before that. So it's like you, you're on that level, same as Strauss and like Ferris has gotten there and Stewart's obviously there. And, and like there's, you know, a handful of people there, Valina, where you like easily you could go up and do oh, a, a set yeah. that's like, clean as fuck or not not you know not clean well, it wouldn't be not, very easy not clean for me tv clean but clean and as in like polished oh yeah in yeah, the sense yeah. of here's a finished product that's easy to that's palatable that goes down so it's you're you're above that level now where you know you can take more risks because you have all that stuff behind you you have the fallback you have the if fallback. it doesn't go good yeah exactly so i feel like some people are just always up there taking risks without realizing that you still need the fallback so it's just a matter of like getting to the point comedically where you've built up a good enough fallback that you can then go back to taking more and more risk. Yeah. Because that's what it is. It's like you build an act so much so that it's good and then you can work that for a bit and then you start working new stuff. And if the new stuff doesn't go well, you fall back on the old stuff. It's quality. Well, that's but. why it's so important when you're doing a new bit, especially one you're not sure about, to sandwich it oh, between sandwich two huge it's jokes be... you know will do well. Yeah. Like, I've seen guys open with new stuff. They're like, oh, I'm going to open with this new bit I'm working on. I'm like, I wouldn't open with it. I mean, the only benefit to opening with something new is if it lands, then you know for sure it's got legs no matter yeah. what. But if you sandwich it, it's basically crutched by two other jokes. But that's not a bad thing because then you still get a good read of the joke without taking too much of risk and losing the audience's trust. Because when you're up there and you're doing well, the audience trusts you. And as soon as you stop doing well, well, depending on the audience, they might lose their trust immediately or they'll be down to kind of play. And someone with your experience level or say Strauss or like Ferris has got there, Dave, Caleb, like any of those people, you can usually you're up there long enough and you're quality enough that in an eight to 10 minute set, you're three minutes deep and everyone loves you. So you can take those risks and know that the audience is kind of on board for it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when you first start, man, like you you don't have enough to really convince an audience that you're good. So you spend your whole set just being like, here's a good joke. Here's a good joke. Yeah. Here's a good joke. Well, even when you first start, like speaking from my experience as well, like your best joke your first year in probably uh, objectively sucks. <laughs> right for sure like, like it's like look if like i look back on the first year of jokes i was telling, that was all garbage but at the time you're like oh this is my best stuff oh yeah so i'm gonna have to i'm gonna do it and if it goes well it goes well if it doesn't it doesn't and that's when like yeah that's probably that first year is when it's 70 percent bombing 30 percent doing well yeah. at least in my experience at least and people and that's the thing. That's where comedy is kind of fun in that sense. And you really get a good read of an individual and what their intention is, is if they can accept the fact that bombing's part of it without shrugging bombing off. 
Like, you have to realize that, yeah, bombing is a part of it, but you can't let it completely ruin you, but you can't also just be like, oh, I bombed, who cares? Yeah, that's... You, you have to still <laughs> use it as a tool. Otherwise, it's pointless. Like, you bombing and you'd be like, ah, I bomb. People, yeah. Everyone bombs. Yeah, yeah, if, if you, you walk away like, oh, I don't really care that I bombed, well, then you're not doing it right either because you, you as much as it's not a thing, it is a thing that you owe the audience a bit of a show. Like, they've paid to get in there. And at one point, you'll be getting paid, mm -hmm. you know, usually. So if you don't do your job and hold up your end, then that's kind of difficult, right? So it's when people are like, oh, I bombed or I don't care. I'm like, you should care. You shouldn't be like upset that you bombed, but you should realize why you bombed and examine it. Yeah. I'm usually when I bomb, I'm upset about it for about like until the next day. Yeah. I'll be like, I don't even want to talk to anyone. Yeah. And. But then the next day, I'm like, all right, why did I bomb? Yeah, let's, what, what went wrong for me? What what was I doing wrong? Let's get Who to the I... bottom of this. Exactly. And then that makes your act so much better because then you're like, oh, I listened back to it and I didn't have nearly as much energy going into it or I didn't set it up the same way as I did or the joke I did previously contradicts everything I say in that joke so yeah, people doesn't don't make trust sense. what I say. Yeah. So it, bombing is such an important tool. And when you're – I mean – it's so easy to be like an older comic or a comic's been doing it for a while and tell like new comics, well, this is how you want to do it. But like at the end of the day, I just hope that if I talk to someone, I'm just trying to save them like that, like one or two seconds of time. They'll eventually learn that shit, but it's like, here's a little cheat code to let you know that like you do need to be upset if you bomb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even though some people will tell you like, oh, don't worry about bomb is part of it. It is part of it, but it's also like the, like bombing or crushing are the two most important tools. Like if you just do all right, you're never going to learn anything. No. So it's 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 interesting to watch people go up. And then you'll see people go up and they'll be like, I fucking crushed. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, you, that's the worst. I don't know if you fucking crushed. <laughs> I don't know if we watched the same set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. But there is truly nothing like a good bomb to keep you humble. Oh, yeah. Like every time... I bomb. It's been like the perfect time where I'm starting to get too big of a head and be like, "Well, I'm fucking, I'm, I'm the best. I don't need a fucking." And let's have an epic bomb and be like, "All right, well, just a hot plate of dog." Right shit. back to reality for <laughs> me, I guess. <laughs> Maybe I'll give up now. I guess you just, have that like bomb that's just, so bad. Just makes you, you question the rest of your career. You yeah, know, exactly, man. You're just so worried. You're like, "Oh man, I've spent so much time doing this. Why the hell?" And it's always like it's a it's a justified bomb, or maybe it's not a justified bomb, but it's always like that moment in your head, like, "Fuck, what did I do?" Well, there's nine years down the drain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe that audience was right, and and it's so funny in com comedy. Like we are so. This is why I think comedians have a difficult time doing relationships too. It's because we're so used to things. Good, 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 good. But if we get like one ounce of bad, bad, we just yeah. lose everything. We're like, oh God, no, this whole thing's not right. <laughs> and you're like, no, it's fine. Just something. There's a bump in the road. You're like, no, no, we need a divorce. Yeah, we got to break up. <laughs> I, gotta, I guess I got to kill you. You got to die. <laughs> I guess you've got to die. I guess you got to. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's such a funny, weird fucking thing. But, uh, I mean, I will say that it's been great being back and watching people and like my, my biggest worry was coming back and being like, I don't know, 
not overwhelmed, but like coming back and seeing everyone doing so, 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 so well. And then me coming back and you guys being like, oh, Matt, Matt's still, Matt's not that great. Matt left not good and now he's still not great or something like that. Like you, <laughs> you're always worried that like when I left the scene, because I re- like anyone who's been a clone, anyone who's done comedy in Kelowna knows how different the scene is. Like it's just yeah. an incubator. It's like the birthplace of like just weirdly strong comics. Mm-hmm. Like there's nuclear radiation on the mics or something like that that are making people better faster. And so to leave that scene knowing on how good people got so quick and it'd be like, hopefully I can still grow at a similar yeah, pace. Hopefully I'm not while, left in the dust. Yeah, while my friends are sitting next to this giant nuclear radiation thing <laughs> where they're just like, ah, crushing, crushing, crushing. So it was like, I don't know. I was, I was talking to a few people. I was like so nervous to come back and everyone would be like, oh yeah, like Baker didn't write, Baker didn't do this or we're all like, this is that. But like, I th- once I got out here, if there was no difference. I literally felt like I wasn't gone at all. Yeah, I think you you seems like you've written more than anyone here. I'd say. I I I try to write my ass off, especially once I found out I was doing Campcom. Like I found out in July, I think. Drew had invited me out. He's like, "Do you think like are you coming around at all?" I was like, "If you put me on Campcom, I'll just book a flight, and then that way I have a reason to be there." Like if you give me like these are the dates, then I'll book a flight, book a whole month, and it just gives me like an anchor, right? Yeah. I know I'm doing CampCon, no, I, I can just yeah. wrap stuff around that. And CampCon was a big enough thing, and then once I saw that John Doerr and stuff was that, like doing oh, it, I was like, Fuck It was yeah. so much fun, dude. Yeah, so as soon as I knew that, I was like, okay, I really gotta make sure that I write as much as I can, otherwise if I show up and everyone's like, oh, Baker's still doing like the same exact bits that he was doing, you know, two, three years ago when he left. Which there's nothing wrong with that. Because I remember when I first started comedy and I was watching people come through, these like headliners at the time, and I'd be I'd see them and then the next year I'd see them again and they'd do like the same act and I'd be like, Oh man, that was the exact same forty five I saw last year. Yeah. And then now I'm like, Oh yeah, for sure you're getting the exact same forty five. Like you know how hard it is to write forty five fucking it's minutes. It's not easy. Know? Yeah, and it and it comes down to the point where it's like you're not we discussed it earlier. You're not just doing you. You're offering a polished product. You're the only face on the poster at that point if you're doing a headline show. Yeah. So you don't get to take risks as much. You have to be up there doing polished material that you know is consistent enough because you don't know if that audience knows who you are. And if they don't, then you have to build that trust. And maybe it takes a whole show to build that trust. Or maybe you're just like, okay, well, I'm going to do this 45 because I know it's going to be fucking great. And it always does well. And then you just offer a quality product. And that's never a bad thing because then people know you as a good comic. So I, it's when I first started, I was always like, oh, man, if I ever do that, I'm always going to have new jokes. And then once you get a, a long enough in, you're like, oh, yeah, no, you, it's impossible. It's yeah. impossible to produce at that rate. I feel like I've had severe writer's blog for like a year and a half. A year and a half of doing nothing is so tough. Yeah, I don't know what's been going on for that year and a half, but it hasn't been helping my writing. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I just time flew by, you know. It's I, I couldn't tell you if anything actually occurred, but uh, yeah, I didn't get up nearly as much as I thought I was going to in that last year and a half. Even though everything obviously was very open. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't want to write any fucking COVID material because I feel like no one really wants to hear about it. It's so tough. I think that was like a, a weird battle that people had initially. And I saw people in like forums being like, all right, we should all agree that 
No one does COVID jokes. I don't think that that no one should. I, I just I personally don't do it because I know that other people are going to be doing it. Yeah, for sure. I th- I think there's a healthy balance for sure. I I like doing it because I do think it. One of the things about it is it just adds presence, mm-hmm. and it's just like here's the thing that it, presence and relatability. Here's the thing that you've experienced that I've experienced both very recently. So it adds to the character and it adds to the trust that the audience builds with the comic because. Here's an experience that both people, no matter what walk of life they're from, have endured. So rich guy, poor guy, either way, you know, uh, there could be a guy who's super well off in the audience and I'm up there. But we both did quarantine. You know, we were both locked in our houses. Mm -hmm. Maybe he had, you know, crazy friends over and parties and shit. And I was, you know, fucking just depressed and sad and was wondering if I'd spent last five years and moved to Halifax on a stupid whim for comedy as a stupid joke so I like if I wasted all my time so it's just like everyone's different but it just pulls the audience in because it's like here's something that we both endured whether or not our paths were similar we were both playing in that same realm so I like doing I I try not to do a a copious amount of COVID jokes but like when someone was told I literally saw in a forum and someone was like trying to get everyone to agree we don't do COVID jokes because I think I saw a similar be thing, yeah. Yeah, and I was just like, <clears throat> why? It's the one thing that you and the audience have in common the most. No matter what audience member it is now, mm-hmm. you've all endured it. It's the like I understand the hackiness of it for sure. And any joke that I try and tell, I try and make sure that's not, you know, super hack or anything like that. It's just like right there on the tip. But if you don't address it, then people kinda People kind of wonder, like, all right, well, what are you going to talk about then? Like, what what did you do? What is this? And then now, too, when we write, we want to try and make sure that people think that whatever we're saying is present. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, so I was at a huge house party the other week. People are like, well, that's illegal. You can't. Do yeah. That. So yeah, it, yeah. It's like, how do you how do you navigate making your jokes relevant, even though they're maybe two years old and stuff like that? It's wild. This whole post COVID comedy thing is just baffling. It's, yeah, it's been weird to navigate. Yeah. Very weird. Like, um, I do want to say, though, before your your mask condom joke, is it's a, it's one of my favorite new bits of yours. Thank you. Yeah, that was one where me and Jordan were talking about it. We're like, dude, that's like a like a solid, like, chunk bit like that you would see on, like, a Netflix special. Like, a solid, not just, like, a one-minute joke, but, like, a five-minute bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun. It's... It was just like one of those jokes that I thought of, and once I started doing it, I was like, "Oh shit, this is, this has got legs." And it was, it wasn't one of the first things I thought out of COVID. Honestly, that joke is probably less than two months old. And it was, but it was one of the jokes that once I did it, I like, oh, okay, yeah. And I started feeling good about what I've been writing. Mm-hmm. But before that, I I'd, I'd written a bunch of stuff. I just none of it I was stoked on. But that joke. Just how it came across was like, here's a joke that is timely, but actually good and, and like funny and like strong enough that I think no matter who you are, it kind of just is a funny joke. And it's not, you know, it's just a silly fucking thing to say, but it, it, I don't know. <laughs> I, I like it. It's a good, I'm not going to be like, oh, it's the best joke, but it, it, I, I truly do think it's a good joke because it's a fun joke for me. And I think if you're having fun telling that joke, then obviously there's got to be some merit to yeah. it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I'm the exact same way, actually. That's funny. I'll, like, write, like, maybe, like, three jokes, and I'm like, oh, this is shit, I'm never going to do any of these. But then I'll write one solid new bit. I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. 
Yeah. Let me take a look at those other three I wrote, and let me see if if that, if those were actually bad or if I would just down on myself. Yeah. And go back and look, and like I don't know they were actually bad. Well, sometimes <laughs> there's like you you get in this rhythm of like questioning everything you write because you're just worried that like oh did I lose it where to go I I think that's like a big fear for anyone maybe I don't know. But like for me, I was like, maybe I, you just write enough to a point, and then after that, your brain's like, all right, you've written enough funny stuff. I'm, you're, I'm, you're, you're never gonna write a funny thing again. Yeah, I feel that all the time. Yeah, I feel like I wrote more jokes in the first two years than I have in the last six. For sure. But again, those jokes probably weren't that great. No. But now, and now, now that you write like a quality joke, and you like chisel it away, and you write it, then you're like. Fuck, how long did this take me? And sometimes it's like literally an instant where you're like, okay, here's a joke. And you're like, okay, this is a great joke. And then it becomes a, a good bit, a bit that you can open with. And maybe it took you literally five minutes of thinking. Mm-hmm. And the first three times you did it, you worked out everything. You worked out the tags and it became a thing. And then sometimes you have a bit that you like write down and you're like, I know this is funny. And the audience just doesn't agree with it for the first like two months. But you're just like, I can't give up on it because I laugh when I think about it. And I can't not trust myself. It's a lot of my jokes. But I I would agree with that, though, in the sense that, like, your your comedy is just at that level where people have to see through, through your glasses. And I, yeah. I, I said this to a couple people. I was like, if depending on who you are and how you operate, the audience might not wear the same glasses that you do. But your goal is to give them those exact same glasses through your jokes. And once they start wearing the same glasses, you can say pretty much anything because they see everything the way, mm-hmm. the exact way you see them. But if you don't set it up properly enough to see that they're wearing those same glasses, then you're fucked. And you know that. You've experienced oh, yeah. it for oh, sure. Yeah. There's no way you don't know that. And and Strauss knows that. Like Everyone knows that. Like One just, of the best people to watch make the audience wear their glasses is Ferris, Ferris for sure. For sure. He will take his glasses off and put them on the audience. Yeah. Like, you're going to wear these and laugh at the shit I'm talking about. Yeah. And it works. They See, do. Yeah. Because he, he, he's just like, look at me. This is how I'm seeing things. And he starts it off and he builds it up. And he doesn't try and it's the, the funny thing about some comic, some comedic characters is some people build themselves up as a villain and they commit to that trait of a villain. Mm-hmm. And people eventually just like the villain. And they understand that, that this is the character of the villain, and we fu- we understand this, and now we can laugh because we see he is the villain that we like, but he's the villain. Jesselnik is a great example of that. Yeah. He does not care. And he starts off, and he, he portrays himself as the villain immediately, and then you're just like, okay, we get it. You're the villain. Now we understand that we have the glasses on that you have on, and then he continues to say this stuff. Whereas like someone like Ferris and you, you guys aren't trying to be mean or anything like that. There's nothing. No, just way too likable. Yeah. Like instantly when Ferris walks on, he's instantly likable. Yeah, for sure. He's got that goofy laugh. He's like, Ugh. <laughs> but it's like, here's the things I find funny, and you're gonna be laughing with me by the end. Yeah. And they do, and they do. For sure. And that that's like the goal of it is like to just convince people. I was just like, what I'm about to say, you might not necessarily <laughs> see yeah. right away. But if I do this right, by the time I'm three minutes in, I can say whatever I want to. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, I see why his brain thinks that's funny. And because I'm thinking like his brain, I also enjoy that. And it's also funny 
seeing when people refuse to wear those glasses. Mm. <laughs> Kyle did a show recently where he set up a joke and then the lady in the audience just went, no, <laughs> no, that, Thanks. that doesn't happen. No. <laughs> yeah. It's like, lady, come on. Just put these fucking glasses on. Yeah. Put the glasses on. And see it how I see it. Yeah. And, and you know, when you, when I think some people are afraid that if they're wearing the glasses, these metaphorical glasses, I think some people are afraid that that means that they think that way. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not, dude. It's not the way you think. If you go to a, a movie theater and you enjoyed a movie where a lot of the characters die, it's not like you love death. You just enjoyed how it was portrayed and you you liked the craft of it all. Mm-hmm. You loved how it was portrayed. You loved the storyline. You loved how things were weaved in and out. And at the end of the day, maybe death isn't necessarily something that you enjoy, but you had respect in that moment because you're like, oh, that's what it is. And that's what comedy is. It's just like, you don't have to agree with what I'm saying, but if you go ahead and you just release everything you're thinking about and then put these glasses on, you're going to see the way I see it, and then you're going to laugh at it. Yeah, that's that's how I see like offensive comedy, or yeah. quote-unquote offensive comedy. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you know you're not trying to offend, you're trying to make people mm-hmm. laugh. That's why I don't like the term offensive comedy. Yeah. Dirtier, darker, darker comedy. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing with darker comedy is when I'm laughing at a darker joke, I'm not, I'm not laughing going, oh yeah, I agree, I hate those people or whatever. I'm laughing, yeah. I'm laughing going, oh my god, I can't believe you got me to laugh at that. Yeah, the absurdity of this. <laughs> oh that my you, god, that I trusted you this whole time and then boom. You flip the switch on me, and I have to be like, yeah, yeah, I understand now. This is insane, but yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And that's, but that's the beauty of it is, I I don't think there is offensive comedy in the sense that I don't think the people who do really good comedy are offensive. I think the people who suck at it just don't know how to land it, and so then people are like, oh, that's just offensive comedy. And there's no such thing as offensive comedy. That person's just being offensive, and they haven't, yeah. They just don't know how to make it funny, but they're trying to be a f- fucking funny, but they just turn up to be offensive. So if you're if you start off almost with the intention to be offensive and then you try and make it funny, you're never going to win. But if you're funny and it just happens to be a little offensive, you're still going to it goes back to the likability aspect of it. Like mm-hmm. as long as people know your intentions and they think you're a, overall a good person, there's no actual way that you think this exact thing in your every day to day life then people are down for it. Oh, when you see dark comedy done well, there's there's nothing else really like it. Like, uh, have you ever seen Jason Rouse live? I've only heard Jason Rouse. Like, heard of, sorry. But yeah. I heard, like, stories. I did three shows with him last Cam Comedy Fest. And, <laughs> man, he is a sick motherfucker. But you're sitting there and you, I don't know, I couldn't help but laugh at a lot of the things he was saying. Yeah. Because it's just like, holy shit, how do you even think of something that twisted like my brain never would have gone there and just the difference in thinking that's what i love about comedy and why i love watching comedy especially when it's like it's oh my god i never would have thought of that yeah so especially like a polar opposite to your style or something like Mm -hmm. that and you like watch someone and you're like oh shit like that's for me i I'd, i'd love to see it because i really think that my comedy's an opposite of that my comedy is I feel like light and goofy and kind of stupid and pointless it doesn't have a message it's just kind of silly and then not like dark comedy has a message but I just mean like it's to write that style but to be good with it to be like creative and intentional with it not just saying words to be like shock value comedy 
Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't shock value. Well, it was shocking, but it wasn't yeah. just for the sake of being shocking. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. was actual jokes and it's, bits. Yeah, it's totally different than like when someone goes up there, and we've seen it at open mic a bunch, like the characters that are just like, oh, you guys like dark comedy? Yeah, yeah. So I fucked my dead grandma. <laughs> she was like, I'm dead. And I'm like, I'm coming. <laughs> Actually, I had someone come up to me after a show once. Uh, we did a, like two shows at Docks downtown. Yep. And uh, I went up. I did my set. It wasn't any dirtier than normal. Mm. It wasn't any more offensive than I normally am. Yeah. It's a pretty average crone set, I thought. Yeah. And this guy comes up to me after the show. He's like, dude, I fucking, I loved your shit. It was so dark. That is that is so me, dude. I've got the exact same sense of humor. In fact. I just fucked a baby on my way here. I was just like, "What?" I love the idea of this guy <laughs> doing. It. I love the idea of this guy saying this to you. Meanwhile, you like if you, I, I look back on your set and you're like doing the candy bit, and I'm like, and this guy's like, "Oh man, this guy's so fucking dark." I think I probably did hand me downs. I probably did spare parts, kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the only jokes I could think of that would make him think of it being funny to say. I fucked the baby on my way yeah, here. Yeah, you're like, all right, dude. It just took me so off guard. I was like, well, I didn't know what to say, so I just, I didn't want to make the guy feel bad because he said he liked my comedy. So I said, oh, where'd you leave it? Yeah. Was, <laughs> you, <laughs> and the guy's like, uh, which alley? Yeah. You done with that baby? You're, yeah. you're just like, what? I don't know. You are done with that baby? I don't know. You kind of put me on the spot here. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah, I feel like sometimes people like feel that they have to come up to you after, and if they really enjoyed you, they have to catch you off guard with like similar style comedy. Like I love oh, doc yeah. comedy, and you're like, oh yeah, and they're like, yeah, I uh, fucked a baby on my way here, and you're like, you didn't need to say that. What you said first that you loved it. That's all you needed to say. That actually, the fact that you tagged it with the makes me worry about you. <laughs> Do people ever come up to you with dad jokes? No, not too much. <laughs> I, I, oh, if you want to get weird, though, after a show, uh, I had a lady offer me a threesome last night. Last night? Last night in Vernon. What was the Vernon show? Rosters. I was up there with Justin Nichols. And, oh, okay. Uh, and Scott Marauder and Cody Wood. Oh, yeah. And I was just hosting, and this lady, during the middle of the show, was just like yelling stuff out, just like some biker chick in her like, late 50s, probably. And maybe oh. early sixties now. Not, oh, yeah, yeah, not good, <laughs> not good. And uh, she's like, oh, like she gets up out of her chair and starts like waving me over, like kind of like enticingly dancing. And I'm still hosting the show, <clears throat> and we're I had just done a COVID bit, and so like she's doing this, and I was like, man, there's not enough vaccines in the world <laughs> to get me to go near you. <laughs> and the crowd just explodes, <laughs> and, and, and then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then so she kind of like sits back down in her chair and you can uh, she's like oh but after the show like in between shows we did 6 30 and 8 40 and an 8 45 in between the shows she came up to me in, in the green room which is just a small place where they had like a foosball table and uh she's just like my partner and i like if you wanted to you could come back with us blah 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 i was like no thanks I was like, ah, I'd love to, but I got a, I got an orgy I have to go to in Salmon Arm. <laughs> Just so you know, if you want to have sex with a 60-year-old woman and her husband, yeah, yeah, 
I, I don't even know her husband. I don't. So here's the weird part. It was her and her stepdaughter that were there. Okay. So I don't know what the invite was, if it was that or what. It was so it could have been a foursome. It, I don't. I have no idea. It was no. But then she just told us that her husband and that guy, that lady's, I guess, dad, the stepdaughter's dad. So her husband, but does the stepfather? I don't know. Died of cancer, and they were out just kind of like having a night together. So I was like, oh, this is such a weird dynamic. <laughs> they were really nice audience members for the most part. She was kind of a little rowdy at one point, and they talked a bit. And then after the one lady came up, she's like, I really think I'm going to try comedy. And I was like, "Try, like, do it if you want to, like, by all means. I hear that so much. It's the weirdest thing after a show. Like, I can't imagine someone having an operation and then going up to the doctor afterwards and be like, hey, I loved what you did up there. I think I might try it too. Like, <laughs> It's weird that there's actually so many men in comedy when the only people I've had come up to me after shows and say, I might try comedy, have been women. Yeah. Or it's a woman coming up and saying, oh, my boyfriend really wants to try comedy. Yeah. My boyfriend's really funny. I'm trying to convince him why? to do it, but he won't. Okay, why isn't he talking to me then? Yeah. Why is it you? <laughs> Why are you throwing your boyfriend under the bus? Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, was, it was a weird dynamic, man. So Scott Murata and Cody Wood both saw the interaction, and she's like trying to hug me a bunch. I was like, I don't know. I always feel bad. I don't like to push people away. So it's like, okay, thanks. I just do it. I was just like, I love having audience. I, I love having an audience that enjoys comedy. So I'm always afraid to hurt them. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid to burn them. And they're like, oh, I don't want to go to comedy. Last time I was at comedy, the guy who did it told me to go fuck myself after i offered him a threesome yeah i've gotten a lot better at not at uh dealing with hecklers in a nicer way yeah i used to do some insanely aggressive i used to be an asshole what can i say yeah (laughs) i've done a lot of work on myself since you left matthew Mm. (laughs) it's good to hear man i remember one of my favorites uh was at munins and one chick who apparently was going to try comedy, wanted to try comedy, heckled you, and you brought her up on stage. Crushed her dream that day. Crushed your fucking dream that day. <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Dude, that was so bad. <laughs> I felt so bad for her. But then also at the same time, I, like, I was like, oh, I feel bad. But then in my same head, I was like, if that was me and someone did that to me, like if I was the comic and someone was interrupting my shit and then that person was also like i want to be a comedian yeah i want to do what you do that's the biggest piss off yeah a heckler who says oh i want to do comedy it's like well you've already failed yeah you've already broken the first rule of comedy club yeah i had someone do that to me in halifax one time and i exact that's the first thing i said to them they're like i want to do comedy i was like you want to take notes this is the last thing you should fucking do is talk to the comics because a is really mean B, if I'm ever running a show and you tried to walk up and be like, can I get on? I'd be like, no, you talk during shows. Fuck you. And C, the person who's on that stage is probably faster than you'll be because they've been doing it longer. Mm -hmm. So if you think that you're going to outwit the guy or girl that's been on that stage and you've never done it, but you're trying to get, you're trying to be a part of the show, you're never going to do it. You're never going to do it. And that person's going to cut you down and then you're going to feel attacked. Yeah. And then you're going to be like, ooh. And you're just like, you did it to yourself. Don't. If you, like everyone I know that's good at comedy came in. They were very quiet. They went up on stage. They did their thing and they got off the stage and they came back until everyone's like, all right, you've done your thing. What's your name? 
That's kind of what you have, what you got to do. Yeah, you can't ruffle feathers because no one, no one's gonna, no one's gonna be like, hey, I really liked how you interrupted me, man. You should get on more often. <laughs> you should. I should really. I should really make sure you get more spots. Yeah, but yeah, I've always been like that. I've always been like before my set. I am not very talkative when I'm at the club. Like no. I'm in my head trying to figure out what I'm going to talk about. So please don't be offended if you come talk to me and I kind of give you a one word answer and brush you off because I'm trying to figure my shit out. Yeah. <laughs> and I've always been like that. And like it got to the point where, you know, I was like five years into comedy. Now there's new people starting and they try and talk to me. And I guess I've been told a lot of times that people were scared to talk. To oh, me. yeah. And I was like, I'm not a I'm not mean though. I'm not. I mean, I, mean, I probably was back then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you know, I, it was never my intention to be scary. No, it was like I'm just anxious. That's what it is. For sure. I'm in my own head right now. And I think people are afraid because they're like, "Oh, I don't want to bug him." You're like, "Yeah, well." Most of the time, I'm just as anxious to talk to you as you are to talk to me. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and think about how you're feeling on your first set. It's like that doesn't necessarily go away. For the most part, like on open mics, yeah, for sure. Like I, it's very rare that I ever worry about an open mic because I just I know that I'm I'm just gonna go up there. I'm gonna try new stuff. Like any chance I get to work new stuff, I'll pretty much take the whole time to work new stuff because I just I like doing it. And I think it's fun, and I don't I don't want uh, I don't want to waste a spot uh, like an open mic open mic doing a polished bit. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I get bored. As well, yeah. the same jokes over and over and over. For again. sure, and the, like you guys get a good amount of stage time, so you have the chance to polish out your material during the weekend, anyways. Because most of the time, yeah, and you're at the level, and everyone at that level, kind of, you've written enough that even when you write something down now, it's already way less fat than when you written oh, yeah. when you would have written it, say, three years ago. Like a joke, like most of the jokes that I write now, once I've put them the paper. There are, I wouldn't say they're great by any means, but they're already pretty slim. Yeah, there's usually more fat in my case when I write it down, but then when I go on stage, I it, I, and my intention is to say it how it's written down, but it just comes out how I would naturally. Yeah, say yeah, it. And whatever. That whatever is feels the. Best. It always just comes out in the trimmed form. Yeah. Like I don't, I guess in my head I go, ah, I don't need that line, I don't need that line, and it just comes out. The yeah, way. yeah, yeah. You're just manicuring it as it's leaving your mouth. But like, initially, you say like, I mean, fuck, I, I used to be able to listen back on all my sets. My phones are gone and shit like that. But like, I'd listen back to some of the sets that I'd done, like even like two years ago, and I'd be like, holy shit, like I'd be listening. I'm like, just get rid of this, get rid of that. Like there's so many of these weird things. Like, so I was at, uh, I was at this place yesterday, just down the street from here. I'm like, why, why you, they don't need to know that it was down the street from there. They don't need to know that your friend, your friend's friend owns that or your friend's friend works there. Is it applicable to the joke? No. Why yeah, are you does, saying does it, it come up again? But no. you're, but you're, I, I mean, when you first start, you just feel like you need to say that. So Details. Then you, you you have this bigger bit, yeah. So you're like, oh, I got like five minutes. You're like, no, you got two minutes, but you think you got five because you have like this long-winded story that oh, has man. absolutely nothing valuable. That very first set ever, you remember, just going up and like, I've got this much time. Oh yeah. And you do all of it, and you like look at your 
phone. You're like, oh, I've been up here for only two minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, when I practiced, it seemed like it was five. I timed it as five. Yeah, not to mention you're just like, like I remember my first time going up. I I don't even think I I breathed, man, or took a breath. I just was like chatting. I think my first time I did three minutes, and I was like, well, well, I got to make sure I have more. And then the second time I think I did ten by accident. Oh, yeah. And it was just like, whoops. Got to get the middle there. Yeah, dude, going over, that's like, ah, it's one of my biggest pet peeves is when people go over like i i've i've done it I, we've all done it but i think it's really it's uh one of those funny things to watch when someone goes over and then they realize they've gone over and then they get to the point in their head they're like how can i get out of this and end yeah. on a big laugh and then you're like but everyone else in the aunt like everyone every other comic in the room knows that it's not gonna end on a big laugh they're just like you've already lost your yeah momentum. you're not gonna get this so yeah. just accept it that's and get off, but everyone's like, "All right, I'm gonna such try." Such a hard thing, thing to do, though. Such a hard thing to do. I, dude, I'm I, guilty of that. Oh for yeah, sure. for sure. I probably did it like two months ago. I did. I I can't remember what what show I was doing. I, I went over my show recently. I went over I my that. time last night, but that was for the opposite reason. That's because I was fucking killing so hard. Yeah, and that's fine. And that was at the end of the show. If you're doing well, then it's if yeah. If you're doing well, then that's fine especially if you're doing well enough that you don't at any point in your set go, what else did I want to say? Because once your brain s- sends that signal, it's like, Oh, I've said most of the things. Now I can't remember what else I want to say. Well, and I, it can't be that important if you can't remember it. So just maybe figure out how you can exit. So I don't know. It's a weird thing. Last night was a crazy show. It renewed my faith in uh white women as audience members oh nice they were an awesome this crowd. was the late one the late show yeah the wine wine and laughs after dark it was probably like 90 percent white women and they loved that they were just howling and cackling and oh man me and ferris did both crush that show and just like in that it was like almost the same audience as the last friends of dorothy show that literally any white straight man on stage they hated. Wow! And so it was that like same a, looking just demographic. A, a para- the same demographic. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. It just happened to be everyone's polar opposite. Yeah, I don't know that Dakota's is a good room for getting people to laugh, man. Like when you're back there, something about that tight space. Tight space is dark. People are more likely to laugh. The perfect if they can't see other comedy people. room. Yeah. yeah, people are more likely to laugh if they if people can't see them laughing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. One hundred percent. I think nowadays more than ever, people are just af- afraid that other people will be like, "I can't believe you laughed at that." Oh yeah. So Ugh, leave that shit at the door. It's a comedy show. Yeah, you're coming here to laugh. Yeah, yeah. You should yeah do a room where you where someone tells you a joke at the door, and if that person doesn't laugh, you're like, "All right, you're not coming in." Yeah, you you're like, "What?" Yeah, you're, you're not coming in. <laughs> Why not? Well, you just you didn't you didn't like that. Yeah. Well, I found it offensive. Well, that's why you're not yeah, coming you, in. You can't come in. Sorry. You don't you don't get to come in because you found it offensive. I heard was that the one that Bonnie hosted? That was the early show. Bonnie hosted the early show. Yeah. I heard she did a really good job hosting. Yeah, I, I I saw a little bit. I saw the ending of it. She was doing good from what I saw. Yeah. People on the show were doing good, but I guess someone got kicked out. I never heard that though. Yeah, Dave told me about that last night that someone got kicked out of a show. But it's crazy. Uh, let me ask you this. I'm staring at the uh, 
the eighth annual comedy fest poster. Oh, um, yeah. so after COVID you guys went up to Prince, no Fort St. John. Well, we stopped in Prince George. We went you, Kamloops, Prince you, George, Fort St. John. So what was that like for you guys after? Cause that would have been like a pretty big week. That was like what your first big weekend since um, COVID or what? Yeah. Yeah. That was our first, uh, trip. I would say for sure. Uh, it was great. Uh, the Lido had 150 people at Crazy. half capacity, which is the biggest crowd I've seen in two years mm-hmm. and haven't seen a crowd that big since, obviously. But yeah, everyone fucking crushed it. It was a great show. You've been up there, right? Yeah, I did. So I did Lido with um, Verge and Charest, and it was crazy. But it the Brian, the guy who runs it, such a nice dude. Oh, great guy. Still and, still great. Yeah. And just takes care of you. And the whole time you're there, you feel you feel I feel like the real deal. You feel next level. Yeah. You feel honestly like someone's gonna be like so, like the type when you're there, they treat you as if someone else might recognize you in the street almost. Yeah. Like that, that's what you feel like. You got a hotel, you got food, you got this, you got that. They're always nice. The, the crowds are just whew, hot to the touch. Like, so fun. And then after, like, I was hanging out after we went downstairs and talked to a bunch of people because Jamie was trying to sell CDs and stuff. Pardon me. And, sorry, excuse <laughs> me. Uh, and, like, audience members would just come up to you and be like, oh, that was the best ever, and we're so thankful and this and that. You're like, what is this? Yeah, we had two guys, because, you know, that's, like, the poster that they have on, like, the marquee yeah, or whatever, like, the, the movie poster slots. Yeah. We went outside and there was two guys talking with, uh, I think it was Caleb and Stu and the rest of us come out and they're like, oh my God, it's, we already couldn't believe we were standing here talking to the two go- two of the guys on the poster. Now they're oh, all here. here. Oh my God, what this is crazy. All here. <laughs> like, yeah, what are the chances we were all in the same building where we just did a comedy show? Yeah. So crazy. So you guys had a good time going up there, right? Eh? Oh yeah. It was a lot of fun. Um, we took two cars up to Prince George, and then Strauss had car trouble, so we just hopped in um, Ferris's minivan. Ferris's mom's husband, I guess. Some some man that lives with Ferris's mom. Some crazy rig <laughs> has had this van, <laughs> had a, a, a right side drive van. Oh, sick. That was Probably bought it off Scott Murata. The seven of us crammed into and drove up to the John too. The John. There was a lot of personalities, but I think it was a good trip all together. Yeah, I heard there's some personalities, but like that must have been such a crazy feeling going from like doing Dakotas and like post COVID or like COVID kind of like te- teetering off, but like still audiences being like probably a little reserved and a little nervous and then going from that to doing Kamloops, Prince George, then Fort St. John. Um, actually the audiences in Kelowna have been great since we've been back. Yeah. Not reserved at all. That's sick. The ones, the most, for the most part, they've all been just there to laugh for the most part. There's yeah. been one or two where it's been like, eh. but yeah. we've been pretty lucky here post COVID honestly, but it was funny seeing Kyle. He, the first Lido show, the Friday, hands down, Ferris had the set of the weekend. He blew their tits and dicks off. Yeah. Every single person, one by one, he went through the crowd and blew either their tits or their dicks off. 
That's like so him. Like Fort St. John is definitely a spot uh, that he would do well. No one was surprised that he did the best. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. His, his crowd for sure. Yeah, like I, if someone's like you're gonna go up there with like Ferris and say yourself and shit like that, I'm like, all right, I'll host. <laughs> but I, I'd rather host. It was <laughs> like right away though. He, uh, he either opened on. Um, I think he opened on the house sitting job. Yeah, which is. A very well crafted. So joke. it was like immediately within the first thirty sec minute of his set, I must have fucked that thing for like three hours. Entire just theater of one hundred fifty people. Ah, yeah, ah, just cheering him on. Yeah. Fuck that bear. And just Fuck from there, bear. it was just like boom, boom, boom. This hitters. One clean fist. Ah, oh my god, yes. <laughs> you fisted your girlfriend, yes. So, what did you guys get to do time-wise, each of you out there? Uh, I think we pretty much did 12 to 15s. Each? That's each, sick. yeah. Who hosted? We had Jordan host the first night, and then Randy J hosted the second night. That's sick. And everyone agreed, including Jordan, that Randy should just have hosted the whole weekend. The whole weekend. He's a... He's an unreal host. Have yeah. you met Randy? Yeah, yeah. I met him before I moved out. Okay, that's good. Yeah, he's in Montreal right now. Yeah, I, I met him, and I only really saw him do spots. I never really get, got to see him like work a lot. Mm -hmm. So, But I had talked to Michael Moses, who had said that he did a show with Randy recently out in Kelowna, and he said he was super great. Oh, yeah. Michael Moses is great, too. Super nice guy. Super nice guy. Such yeah. a nice dude. I took him title board rafting. He's like... David Cop said you're the the rafting guy. I was like, that's me. <laughs> Do you think we could go? I'm like, let's go. Absolutely. So took him out rafting. He was such a nice dude. So, very funny comic. Very strong. And like just an overall nice guy. Like, Encouraging as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. So and it's always good to see that. It's always nice when someone that you respect in comedy and think is funny also remembers you. Yeah. So I went up to him and was like, oh, hey, Andrew, how's it going? I was like, oh. I was just like, oh. That oh. so that that's oh. like such a funny thing. Uh that happened to me weird like a while back when I was first not first starting, I probably did it for like three years maybe. And Shane Clark had come through at one point and he'd done a couple shows in Kelowna and I was on them and I introduced myself. I love Shane Clark, very funny guy. And just like a nice dude. Like a genuinely nice guy. And uh he came out like probably a year later and so I went up to him and was like, Hey Shane, my name's Matt. He's like, Yeah. We've met. I, I like, always assume no one remembers. Exactly. You. That's it. That's what it was. I was like, no, I, I, I know, like I know you. Yeah. I just don't expect you to know me. I always assume that they never remember me, and I've only been justified in that once. Who was that? I'm not gonna say his name, but you can mouth it to me. It was back when Laugh Lines was Laugh Lines. When House of Comedy was Laugh Lines, and there was a few of us went to see Doug Stanhope as he was there. Mm. And uh, this comic was working the door, and he's done Dakotas a few times. So I'll just say his name and cut it out. Oh, okay. Um, so I, you know, I, I go up to him, I was like, "Hey, how's it going?" So and so, and he's like, blank stare. He has no fucking idea who I am. And I was just like, "All right, well, fuck this guy then. What the fuck?" Yeah. And I just always assume that. Ever since then, even even before that, that people don't, don't remember me. Yeah, they don't know who you are. Which I mean, like, that's what I do. I mean, shit, the amount of comics I've met. Yeah, there's a bunch that I'm sure I've met before that I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Which you know, I try not to do. No, for sure. But like, if you 
if you travel like from scene to scene to scene too, and people you're in a scene where people come to a lot, mm -hmm. you're gonna come across people that you meet and you remember, and then sometimes they meet you and they remember you, but you don't remember them, and it's like not your fault, it's not their fault, it's just kind of. A weird thing they're like no we've met i'm like sorry i guess you should have been funnier yeah yeah well that's the thing right <laughs> too you're like you're like oh sorry I, maybe i didn't get to see your set i don't know and then you see them go up and you're like oh yeah that's why i probably didn't probably forgot you <laughs> accidentally you know but uh it's just, i know it sounds mean but it's it's true though like oh yeah you remember the people that stand out for sure that's just how things are. That's not just stand-up. That's just life. No, yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. That's, like, the biggest thing is if you don't, I don't know. I, I anytime, I'll make an effort, especially now that I'm living in Halifax, too. They have people come through a lot, which is great. Like, Nathan McIntosh is out there this weekend, and he's pretty big. He's been on Late Night and stuff like that. And I went, I went out of my way to make sure that I saw one of the shows that he was on when he was last in town. Mm -hmm. And like when Michael Moses was in town, I wanted to make sure that I went out of my way to go see a show that he was on. And anytime someone comes through, I really want to make an effort to go see a new comic. Yeah, that's why I went to the show on Friday. I, like, I wasn't on the show, but I was wanted to go see Justin Nickel. Yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, it's worth checking it out because, you know, and, and this is a conversation I've had with a couple other comics too. It, they're at that level that they're doing what we want to do, but it's not not attainable. Yeah. So they're just in reach. It's not like it's not like when you go see John Doerr or say David Tell or something like that. When Stan you, Hope. Yeah, Stan Hope. It's not like those shows where you go see these people with the intention of just enjoying the show. I go see these people with the intention of, yeah, enjoying the show, but seeing what they're doing and how they got there and being like, okay, compare and contrast. Where am I at in comparison to them? And, is it possible for me to do what they're doing? Can I just go around and do club and club and club and just mm -hmm. be like, okay, I'm a, I'm a headliner now. Or I, I can do 35 or 40 minutes comfortably enough that I can, you know, justifiably. And, and it's all, comedy's taking risks. It is. And it's about someone else taking a risk on you. Like Dave obviously knows this. And you, have I, you and I and anyone who's in Kelowna and any other scene has seen it when someone comes through and they market themselves as a headliner and then they're just not. Yeah, but like you gotta give them the kudos of being like, no, pay me a full, pay me this much yeah, money, pay me this much money, or or give me the chance to do this forty five minutes because I'm worth it, mm -hmm. and taking a bit of a gamble on it, right? It's crazy. It's I don't know. So it's it's fun to see people who have gotten to the point where like, no, I think I have that worth. I think I can easily go to a different town, a different city, a different province, and. Do a, offer a product that I know is going to be consistent enough yeah. that you don't think I'm that I'm stupid, <laughs> or maybe you do. Maybe at the end of it, you're like, "Fuck, that was stupid of me to put that person on the show." And I know Dave's had that moments for oh, sure. I've, 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 yeah, I've, I've seen it. <laughs> I've, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen him sitting there realizing it while the person's on stage, just fucking face and palm, just shaking his head. Uh, on the seven o'clock show, meanwhile, the same guy's headlining the nine o'clock, and you're just like, <gasps> and and then it's also like that tell, and you're like, no, it's not the audience, it's the comic. Yeah, that's no, always tough. But it's it's like I love being able to see those new people come through and watch that and be like, okay, where am I at? How can I compare to this person? Enjoy their comedy by all means, but also like just respect their hustle and like inquire, like, what are you doing that you're getting this? So how can I get there? 
Because there's no reason, like, a guy like Marketing. you, a guy like Stewart, a guy like Jordan, like, there's no reason you guys can't be doing that stuff. Well, and, there is a reason, and I'm bad at social media. Well, that's the thing. It is, it's marketing. <laughs> and I, had this, I was having this conversation with someone else. It's like, there's people in the scene that are not the funniest people, but they're going to do an insane amount of legwork to market themselves. I thing. agree. Let's name them all. No. <laughs> yeah. Starting with... <laughs> Now you you you're one of the rare ones where you've got I think you've got both you're starting to I think your your social media is getting better yeah like I'm your Instagram and shit trying you, to you're busier on there yeah I'm trying you, to but you've also got the jokes to back it up yeah it's 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 a battle man which a lot of these social media marketing comedians don't have yeah I think at the end of the day some people really market themselves in one way and then they end up focusing too much on that and then once people get there. They're like, oh shit, we kind of got fooled. It's like a movie trailer when they show all the good punchlines. Like, it's a comedy movie, and they show yeah. all the good punches in the trailer. And you're like, this thing's going to be fucking hilarious. And then you're like, oh, the only funny parts were in the trailer. Well, it's the same thing with comedy. Some people put out these clips that are just really funny. And then once you get there, you're like, oh, of that 45 minutes, maybe seven of it was good kind of thing, right? Yeah. But marketing, like, as a comic is so tough because you don't, like, I don't know. I don't feel like I have anything to offer much, but like what I've been trying to do recently with my Instagram is post photos from my travels and post photos from shows of not me. Just like the environment of comedy clubs, the environment of shows, the environment of scenes, and just kind of put a little tag with it and be like, oh, this is this is what's going on in this photo, mm-hmm. and this is what I like, and this is why. And if you engage with it, sweet. If not, at least I'm just constantly posting stuff and the way I see it is it doesn't necessarily have to be me being like, I'm I'm doing this now or I'm going to be here or here's a photo of me doing this. Because at the end of the day, people nowadays, at least for myself, I enjoy intaking quality content. So if I have just yeah. a cell phone photo of Agreed. me that's like pixelated and shit, I don't want to put that up. No one's going to want to look at it. Mm-hmm. No one's going to care. No, Like a, a still photo um, that just me up close with a microphone in my hand is not going to do anything for anyone. But if I can attach a story to it, then people can look through a series of photos and be like, oh, here's a cool story about a thing that he did. Uh, here's, you know, CamCom or here's this or that. Or I, I went out west for, you know, a month and did these shows and met these people and had this time, right? And that's kind of what I want to do with my socials in the sense that I don't want to push, you know, myself as a product as much as I just want to like, people will be like oh yeah he seems interesting maybe i'll go catch a show it's it's really it comes down to like that thing or it's just like if you can market yourself enough then someone else is going to take a chance on you and then it just comes down to whether or not you can you can sustain yeah right and and here's the downside of that aspect and the downside of that method where people market themselves to be this thing that they're not is eventually they're going to go somewhere do something that experience for the person who owns that venue is going to be so terrible that they're going to be turned off of comedy. Yeah. They're going to get burnt. And I've seen, I've, I've, I've contacted venues and they're like, like a yeah, non, we, don't, we don't do comedy. Like a non-comedy venue, like a pub or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's happened here in Kelowna. Yeah, where people just get burnt because they're just like, you know what? Someone told us they were going to do this. They came through. It sucked. Everyone hated it. And now we don't want to ever take that risk again. And you're like, mm-hmm. well, shit, who was it? And you're like, oh, okay. Or they don't no, say, but you find sense. out or something like that. But like, that idea right and that goes back to like i said it's finding that level of confidence where you're just like i think i'm at the point where i can maybe go there and offer a product that is consistent enough that 
the people who are taking the risk on me, you know, the restaurant or the pub or the weird room in the middle of nowhere accepts the fact that, okay, we can bring this guy in and it seems like he's not going to do a terrible job. Yeah. And then I do well enough that they're like, okay, cool. Let's do this again sometime. And that happened with me in Tatamagush, Nova Scotia. I ran, uh, there's a guy who has a theater there. Could you say that name again? Tatamagush. Tatamagush? Yeah, Tattoo Magooch. Tattoo My Gooch. Yeah, Tatamagush. It's it's a sweet little spot. And uh, there's a guy named Marshall Fight, the nicest dude I've ever met in the world. Such a good dude. Oh, yeah. Can you tattoo my bush? (laughs) Yeah, tattoo my gooch. Uh, and uh, I messaged him. I was like, "Hey, I wanted the show. Like, would you be interested?" And uh, he's like, "Yeah, but I can't do a guarantee just because it's a risk, right? Like, yeah. he's like I can't, I can't promise you anything because there's a chance that it's gonna suck, and then I'm <laughs> on the hook." So he's like, "What I'll do is I'll just do a deal with you, um, and you guys can kind of just take the door, and I'll take the bar, and this and that." And so I had reached out to a couple of comics about the show and some heavy hitters within the local scene. And I was just like, do you guys want to do this? And they're like, well, what's the pay? What's this and that? I was like, well, it's not guaranteed, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, all right, well, we're not going to do anything if there's no guarantees. Yeah. All right. So then I messaged them back. I said, Hey man, because you're not giving me a guarantee, I can't, I can't convince some of the bigger guys to do this. But what I can do is I'm going to bring up some guys that I know for sure are funny. Mm -hmm. And, they'll be just excited to do the spot and then we'll see how the show goes and go from there. So we did a show, uh, in the small area of the theater, uh, in the, in the gallery section at that point. And it could fit like 50 people. And we, he sold it out 50 people and it was the best show he did there. And then after that, he's just like, all right, yeah, I trust you. Now we're going to work with guarantees. So now I'm getting a guarantee where I can have a budget to work with. Yeah. So every three, every, sorry, four to five months I get to do a show there it gives me a guarantee and I can pay comics to come up there and it's just a relationship where he took a risk mm-hmm. and but I had to also take a risk I had to take a risk on the fact that maybe I was going to drive you know two hours to Tatamagush and bring a bunch of comics up to Tatamagush and just be like hopefully I can pay you guys and those people were like okay well we understand that there's a risk involved but we want to be part of it and it paid off for everyone and sometimes it doesn't pay off but there's a level right yeah, I don't think mo- most comedians, I think, expect when they get into comedy a certain level of risk. For sure. It's, it's, it's a risky business. Mm-hmm. It's kind of why we, part of the reason we get into it. Yeah, because it's fun to kind of dance that line. Yeah. But I, I think people, too, get get to the point where they've done enough of that risk. They're like, ah, oh, I'm not going to drive two hours. Oh, for there's definitely maybe. comedians who get to a point of safety mm-hmm. where they just do the same fucking same 45 minutes for 10 years and they just book only like certain like i'm only gonna do this and this and this show and i mean i get you get to a point where it's like yeah i'm just kind of playing it safe because i've been doing it for 30 years why would i take risks anymore yeah i've yeah. got a family now and shit like that it's like which is understandable like if you got other people in your life to take care of and shit don't take as many risks but I feel like you'd learn to hate it. You're a it fucking quick, comic, though. Come on. Yeah. Take fucking risks. That's why you got into this life. Yeah. Take some risks, and and, and I think every, some people get to the point where they're afraid that they're going to lose people too, right? Yeah. Some people are like, I don't want to. I have a following now, and I would I'd be afraid if they got angry or didn't like this or didn't like that. But I don't know. 
it's but it's 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 huge it's a huge thing trust wise and like I was saying with that Tatamagish venue like now it's just sweet like the guy I talk to him all the time he's giving me a bunch of opportunities he's giving me a budget to work with when I do shows and it's just like he took a chance and I took a chance and and it paid off tenfold like it's been great but there's some venues out there that won't take that chance or they'll they'll be like okay yeah for sure you come here I'm not going to guarantee you nothing you can have the door, but there's no guarantee that anything's going to happen. So then you go there, and like Strauss and Verge and I had that in North Bay, Ontario, mm-hmm. where we told, reached out to a venue, said, you guys don't have to pay us nothing. We're going to charge 10 bucks at the door. We're going to bring the show to you. We're going to tell people to be there a little bit early so they can get a meal, which is good for your business. They're going to be buying drinks during the show, which is good for your business. There's absolutely no risk involved. We sent them clips to be like, we're not fucking hate speech people you know to give them an idea that we're not going to just get up there and be like hey so you know minorities right oh come on man (laughs) it's not funny so we did that and the venue did not promote the show whatsoever and no one showed up Hmm. so we like we took a risk and realistically kind of did but they didn't because they they didn't didn't really promote it so there was no loss from them other than the fact that like they could have actually had some people come in for the show that maybe have never been to that venue before and now go there because the food was good and they had entertain they were, they were entertained so i don't know and that happened too we did uh it was, it was funny cuz originally in north bay we had booked a show and it was supposed to be at a brewery and the guy's like yeah we'll do it he's like just send us some clips and it was me, Jordan Strauss, and Andrew Verge at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was really happy with that lineup, right? Verge is consistent. Strauss is consistent. I was consistent at the time. like, And we all had good enough clips to send them five minutes, right? Yeah. Send them the clips. Never heard from them again. Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. That's got to feel good, eh? Oh. That's going to be a nice little boost to your confidence. The worst. It was like the weirdest thing, right? Because it was like, we're going to come do this show for you for free. All we ask is that we get the door. And there's, no, again, no risk to you. But he looked at the clips and probably was like, man, these guys aren't funny. I'm not even going to risk it. <laughs> and then later on, we're like, oh, well, we got this other venue in North Bay now anyway. So ha-ha. we and don't then, even need you. Yeah, we don't need you. And then no one showed up to that. But that's like, that's what it is. And that's like, you're at that level. And that's like the funny thing, too. And why, why it's cool to go see people who are touring but not necessarily well-known names where they just got to, you know, how do you market yourself that people want to come out to a show in a city that you've never even been to? They have no idea who you are, and you got to try and sell 60 seats so then you know that you can get to the next town. Yeah. I was booked in uh, Ashcroft two years ago to headline the Ashcroft Inn. (laughs) I brought Vesner with me. It was like a, it was a five hundred dollar guarantee. Yeah, so I was like, all right, yeah, Love of course, it. of course, of course. Yeah, show up. It's about half an hour to the show, and there's three people in there. I'm like, I'll right, probably fill up. It's a small town. I feel like this is the only bar. Nothing else to do. Half an hour goes by. The same three people are the only people in there, and they're just sitting right up front, arms crossed, waiting for the show. Yeah, and I'm like, all right, well, I guess this is the show. I've been paid. I was paid already. I was paid before the show even happened. I very well. I could have just left. Could have just left and not done the show. Yeah. But that wouldn't have been very professional. No, no, no. You'd burn it. So I went up. I did. 
or Vesner hosted, and then it was me. Angus was supposed to come, but couldn't come. So I was just like, all right, me and you, bud. Just do more time, I guess. And I do the finger smeller joke, and it gets no laugh. And the the one guy in the front goes, oh, yeah, that's the joke I heard when I looked you up. Because I guess that's recorded somewhere on YouTube. I, yeah. I guess the Shaw TV thing. Yeah. So it was my first joke. He's already heard it, and I've never even been to Ashcroft before. I was like, oh, great. Later I found out that the reason there was no one at the show is because the night before... A lady got kicked out of the bar for being too drunk or rowdy or some shit and then went around Ashcroft, the very small town, and told people not to go yeah. to the show that night. And then the people that were there were her parents. What? what? I lived in Ashcroft and uh, it's a weird place. It's a very, very weird city. So yeah. I can only imagine that your experience there was wonderful. Jordan and Caleb did the... that. They didn't even... They like booked another show after that. Yeah. Jordan and Caleb did it the next month, and a horse walked in. A horse in. came in, I heard. <laughs> yeah. And, but, they, but they got the same guarantee and everything? Same guarantee. Did you get a room, too? No, we no, drove okay. back. They got a room, though. Oh, sweet. But, yeah, I, we, I just drove back that night. Cause I, I, That's I, what, yeah. three and a half hours, four hours? I was in Kamloops the night before I opened for Patrick Leha. Oh, okay. From Kamloops. Yeah, so Kamloops to Ashcroft is like an hour and a half. Yeah. But uh, Ashcroft to Kelowna is pretty long. Yeah, it was a, it was a quiet drive home. Oh, yeah, especially after a show like that where you have to do your time. Because I brought the girl I was dating at the time, too, and she just watched me bomb for 40 oh, minutes. sick. But then she was like, I thought that was hilarious. That was so funny to me to watch. I was like, oh, well, I'm glad you had fun. Yeah, yeah, my... <laughs> My, I'm not gonna have a boner for a week. Yeah, I'm not having sex with you tonight. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm so fucking. I don't have it in me. It's, it's crazy, man. It's so funny to do those gigs, but like, do you find now those are getting a little more distant from each other? Like, do you find you're getting more, a little more, like you're getting the opportunities that you are coming across are better? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like the. The Lido and Trip and Camcom. Yeah. I couldn't have really asked for better fucking. Yeah, you've had a great fall. I had a pretty good fucking fall, yeah. That's insane. It's going to be a quiet winter, but we'll see what next year brings. I don't know. What are your what are your foreseeable future plans? Uh, You're headed I'm, back to Halifax this yeah, week? Yeah, so I'm heading back to Ontario for a week. I'm going to try and get on one or two mics while I'm there maybe. And then I'm going to be heading to Halifax for a month and a half. I've got um, a headlining, a co-headlining show booked on the 6th. And then the weekend of the 12th and 13th, I'm doing a hosting gig for a Yuck Yuck Satellite show. And the weekend of the 18th to 19th, I'm doing a headlining gig at a small club in Dartmouth and then the weekend at, or the that week before during the week I'm doing a small headlining club or a small headlining spot at another spot in Dartmouth so I've got like some bigger stuff come down and then the first weekend of December I'm going to Punchlines Comedy Club which is in New Brunswick and I'm doing my first spot there I don't know if I'm hosting or middling I assume maybe hosting or maybe middling I have no idea uh, but Jason Allen's going to be there that weekend. And that'll okay. be my first time doing that club. And that's a yuck? No, it's punchlines. Punch punchlines punch called. Yeah, it's the only, it's the one off. So I guess it used to be, I don't even know what it used to be actually. I'm not even going to try and say what it was because I could be wrong and then I'll be like, yeah. So, 
But yeah, I'm excited for it. I got like some stuff going down the line. Busy boy. Yeah, but I don't know right on, man. what the spring's gonna look like. So who knows? I'd love to come back out and like string some shows together. Yeah. But uh, you should well, come out east. You know we'll always have you. Yeah, I've been thinking about it. Just come hang out. I might come visit. There, there's no. You can come and then you can leave if you don't have fun. Like, I usually leave right after I come. Yeah, yeah, that's the way to do it. Come and leave. <laughs> Why would I stay? Yeah, what do you want to do? Jeez. Oh, you want to cuddle? Come on. Yeah, gross. What are we, 12? Uh, well, we should wrap this up, Let's but uh, up. Matt, where can the good people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at comedian underscore Matt underscore Baker. Uh, and you can find me on Facebook at uh, Comedian Matt Baker. That's my Facebook page. Or you can just find me on Facebook as Matt Baker. doesn't matter. You can find me as a friend. What's as long as you try and find my shows, that's the important part. And what's your address and social security number? That's just uh, something we ask all the guests. Yeah, yeah. Just a quick <laughs> yeah, what was the name of your first pet? Yeah, what's your mother's maiden name? Yeah, what's the manufacturer of your first car? And uh, who was your favorite teacher in school? Yeah, yeah. What was the name of your childhood best friend? <laughs> The last name. Yeah, yeah, first and last name. And his also his social insurance. And number. also we need his info as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, please attach any copies of your passport you might have. And a copy of your last paycheck. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jay, we're gonna we're gonna e transfer you or we're gonna we're gonna direct deposit you for this show here, so we're gonna need uh we're gonna need a, a, a blank check. <laughs> and a blank check. Yeah, we're gonna need a blank check. Uh like super blank, don't even cross it out. Just yeah. just a blank check. Just the blankest of yeah. checks. Your account number on it, but nothing else is written. And then yeah. <laughs> well hey Matt, it was good to talk to you, man. Thanks so much for having me, man. Thanks it was for coming great on. to be on. Awesome. All right. Well, that's the episode. Um, bye. Bye.